Hi there. Today you're listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich. This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Join me as I share some practical applications of the fruit of the Spirit. Here is where you can learn tools to cultivate things like love when you find your son sitting in paint, joy while cleaning up the paint, and peace in more areas besides just hiding in the bathroom. Yes, it is possible to love God, love others, and enjoy it. Welcome to Fruit Pursuit, episode 27. We are talking today about self-control and activities for children. I am super excited about this episode today because I think it's going to give you not only some fun entertainment while you're listening, but also some practical ways to help your children develop self-control. If you need the short version of this podcast, it's this. If you want your children to be successful in public, you got to practice at home. Just do it. There you go. Now, if you get interrupted making dinner because your potty training three-year-old needs you, then you got the main point. But if you're still able to stir the pot or waiting in the car line or whatever that small window of opportunity is for you, then let me first celebrate you. I honor you for spending your time searching for ways to be a better mom, a better parent, challenging yourself to find new solutions to becoming more like Christ and being the example that God challenges us to be for others while also enjoying it and displaying love and feeling love towards others. And I'm honored that I get to be a part of that journey with you. So thank you. And well done, mom. Keep up the great work. This subject that we're talking about today is certainly one that also requires work. Let's talk about several different areas where we wish our children would behave where it matters to us most. So number one, where we wish our children would behave is public locations. (laughs) That's all just anywhere out there. The grocery store, the doctor's office, the restaurant, the church, the funeral, walking across the street, the library, playmates, the toy aisle in Walmart. Did I catch your place? What is it for you? Where is it? Wait, I know. Maybe your place that you want your children to behave most is in the second category. Okay, so the second category where we want our children to behave is public locations. Wait, that's the same. But not exactly. The public locations in category number two are grandma's house for the babysitter, that friend that volunteered to watch your kids at the playground so you can take the other one to the bathroom that's just across the street from the playground for the 10th time because they're bored with the swings and can't come up with what else they want to do. But the last time you tried to prove that they were faking, you took them home with wet pants. I mean, wait, where did we go? Okay, yes, with the friend at the playground. Or whomever they are supposed to be impressing at the time. The pastor, the neighbor, the FedEx driver. Listen, I get it. We aren't supposed to want to make our children into little soldiers, but we do think it should be reasonable for them to act like humans and not wild animals. At least, I hope. I I want that for my kids. And I hope that you want that for your kids. So first... 
to start this program off. Let me encourage you that my kids have done their fair share of embarrassing me. One child told the neighbor mom to shut her big yapper because he had overheard a catchy phrase from a Saturday night live clip that we were listening to and thought it was funny. Thank you, Saturday Night Live. I had another child tell a kid to go down to hell because he overheard a pastor praying with some extra vigor about something tragic and he was resisting the devil rather fervently in his prayer. And we had to have a conversation about how declaring that the devil go down to hell is different than declaring that our friends go down to hell. I have also had children take their little tykes cars out for a drive down the busy 55 mile an hour road. I've had phone calls from the man across the street informing me that I had three little boys watering the flowers off their off the front porch with their pants down. Listen, sometimes our best efforts to help our children behave cannot contain such intense creativity. We'll never capture all the dumb ideas. And if you think that's the measure of a good parent to be able to capture all the dumb ideas before they happen, then I got two things to say. First, you're setting yourself up for a disappointment and certain feelings of failure as a parent. And second, I'd actually question whether you're possibly stifling their creativity. I mean, really, peeing in the bathroom trash can because you want to see how many times it takes to fill up? Brilliant. And also maddening, because in the meanwhile, it makes everyone else think that when they're visiting you, that your mom doesn't actually know how to clean a bathroom. That kind of creative experiment mind is going to pay off one day. Well, we hope it pays off. (laughs) But there are so many other things that we can do something about if we just take some action ahead of time. We want our kids to have self-control, but how often do they have to practice these skills these days? I heard one time that that a television program actually changes interest at a minimum of every three seconds. In fact, in most talks these days for adults, information for adults, the average switch up for their attention is every seven seconds. Or sooner. That's every seven seconds. Many kids don't have to sit in church anymore. They have kids programs, which I love, by the way, but they aren't having to practice sitting still to the same degree as they do in an adult church service. The dentist office that we go to has screens on the ceiling so the kids can watch movies while they get their teeth cleaned. My son just recently went to an MRI where, you know, like they're not allowed to have any metal in the room. And they had set up a reflection so that while he was in the tube, it would reflect the television screen and he had headphones on. So he was able to watch Wreck-It Ralph the whole time he's having his 30-minute MRI. And he doesn't have to think about staying still. Listen, I get it. These things are gift in many ways. I'm grateful for the 21st century and I will be the first to give a big shout out to the electronic babysitter when my little kids were like going crazy and I needed a break. But every once in a while, the fact of the matter is they're still going to encounter times when they have to actually sit still or wait or show patience with some amount of self-control. And the problem is 
If they haven't practiced anywhere, they aren't going to be able to do it. Why? They've never done it. So they won't be able to do it. (laughs) Today, I'm going to tell you some strategies that I've used over the years to help my children learn to be still. And as you heard earlier, it's not foolproof. These strategies have mitigated many disasters that could have also been part of today's episode had we not used them. (laughs) So strategies. All right. The main idea is if you want your little ones or big ones to show self-control in more stressful situations, you got to practice in non-stressful situations. One example is when my kids were little, we had a lot of church services to attend. We lived on a Bible school campus, and besides Sunday church, there were also daily chapel services. Now, I didn't take them to all the chapel services, but they definitely went to more services than most kids in America do. And whatever services they went to, there was no nursery unless I wanted to sit in the nursery with my kids. And often there wasn't like the sermon wasn't piped in. So I'm sitting in there by myself in a room with kids. Why bother going to church? (laughs) Okay, so somehow they had to learn how to sit there quietly. How do we do that? By practicing at home. For a little while, almost daily, and then later it was just more sporadic, we pretended to have church. They thought it was fun. We'd sit on the couch, really still, look at books. We later included one of my kids volunteering to preach or lead the music, and the other kids and I would obediently open our Bibles and our hymnals to the proper passage that the three-year-old was babbling about, and we would listen or sing or participate. And three things happened during those little role-playing times. First, they had fun. They didn't know we were practicing self-control. They just thought it was pretend and a cool thing to do. Second, they learned how to sit still and participate in an environment where they were praised for it and not scolded for their misbehavior. It was a neutral, stress-free environment for them to practice doing it the right way. And third, they got the chance to see from the speaker's point of view what it feels like to have distracting little children misbehaving in their congregation. When they took turns being the music director or being the preacher, they would often get frustrated at their siblings for climbing up and down on the chair or flipping the book around or whatever. And they started to begin to see firsthand how distracting that is. They would fuss at them, want them to be quiet, want them to be still. And as a result, they got to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, even at that young age. Gradually, this little role playing helped them learn how to behave on Sundays. So you got to practice. And you can practice all sorts of things, not just church. You can practice going through a grocery store and then pretending to sit in the cart or have them be the person that's trying to find the groceries and you be the kid sitting in the cart. And what do they do with the child who is misbehaving? How do they respond? They'll become more aware of how they respond when you're actually in the grocery store or talking to a doctor in a doctor's office or waiting for a doctor in a doctor's office or interacting with a neighbor. Now, while I don't normally spend lots of time playing with pretend with my kids, I actually found that really annoying and didn't like doing it as a parent. 
But these particular types of pretend games, where we were learning the skills of being polite or practicing self-control or good behavior, pretending to be responsible, those I was down for. It was fun, and I noticed it was profitable for their lives in other areas. And I don't think I, I don't think I did this every day. It was more like a few times a month. And even those times made a huge impression. It really made a difference. Another trick is to learn ways to set them up for success. If you want them to have self-control in public situations, set them up for success. Listen, if you know you're going to want your own phone while you're waiting on something and that your child is likely to have to wait with you, take something else for them to do. Often I have had numerous children waiting and only one phone that I wanted to keep. And then what? They got to take turns. That never turns out well. I started carrying a little bag of tricks in my purse or the diaper bag. And at one point when I, all seven kids were under the age of 10, I had a whole bag of entertainment. My mother used to call it the go out to eat bag. She started this. And when I was growing up and my seven younger siblings, she had a bag that she kept in the back of our car and later our giant van for restaurants where you order at the table and wait for your food. So when we would go to the restaurant, she would bring her bag in. And my siblings and I thought it was the most awesome bag in the world. We didn't get to play with it any other time other than at restaurants. In it, she kept little travel games, old Happy Meal toys, things that we didn't ever get to touch other times. Things that we would cast aside after we had played with for two seconds. But in the bag, it was like magic. There were small puzzles. There was a little bowling set. And there was the cutest little wind-up train track. With a little, with a little wind up train that would go around in a little figure eight. I'm telling you, it was the coveted toy every time at every restaurant. So when we sat down, we as little kids could each pick one toy to play with from the bag. And if our meals didn't come in a certain amount of time, then we could switch it out for another one toy. So when my kids were little, I created my own little bag. Only my bag had different toys than my mom's, obviously, but I had a little travel watercolor set that had like postcard paper. Um, They sell them on Amazon. I had a felt book of stories that I got from BettyLukens.com and I had a deck of cards. I got some miniature animals, some fidget toys, a few other things here and there. All of it went into the bag. Most of the things were generally small, except for the felt books, but they also were generally quiet. There were usually things that um, one or more people could play with together. It, with the exception of the fidget toys, most everything else was something that they could have a sibling interact with them. I'm telling you I needed an arsenal sometimes because not only would my kids be somewhere, but I would be with other people's kids and we'd all be waiting And now all of a sudden, because I brought seven to the group, now there's 10 waiting. We got to have something for these kids to do or they play off of each other and go nuts. So I definitely had a very effective 
success bag. <laughs> the go out to eat bag became the wherever we're waiting bag. <clears throat> now my mom has her own bag though, her grandmother bag. And her 19, soon to be 21 grandkids all know that when you go out with grandmother to eat, out to eat, you can play with the things in her bag. I'm telling you, it's this really glamorous, hot, pink, fuzzy, furry toy pet carrier thing. And she has it packed with stuff, little animals, miniature Cinderella sets, some little superheroes. I don't know what's all in there, but it's full and they love it. Adults sit there and look at that stuff and think, I want to play with that stuff in that bag. <laughs> but it's still one thing out at a time. So the question is, do you set your kids up for success? Or are you assuming that they're going to somehow magically be able to entertain themselves and be quiet in a situation where they haven't really had to practice that before? Are you creating a way for them to be successful while they wait? Let's also talk a little bit about words, self-control with words. Let me tell you, it's not just enough to say, don't say that. Some kids more than others need practice with what to say or the funny insulting thing is going to come out of their mouth. See, sometimes a lack of self-control is simply an evidence of a void of wisdom, not the neglect of it. They haven't discerned what is funny and what is rude and the difference between the two. It's kind of something subtle that we learn as adults sometimes. So it's important to practice what to say. We don't say, shut your big yapper. We say, will you please lower your voice or thank you for sharing. We don't say, you're mean. We say, I'm having a hard time with what you just did or please don't do that. We can practice resisting the devil when we pray, but we don't tell other people to go to hell. So the question is, are you practicing? Be aware of the influences around you, too, that seem innocent, that might send mixed messages to your kids. For instance, do you want your children to have self-control and then or not try every wild idea that they come up with? So things like. Put the Calvin and Hobbes books away for a while. If you want them to learn to be respectful to their father, stop reading Berenstain Bears to them. The parent, the mom, and the kids are incredibly disrespectful to the dad. And, of course, listening to Saturday Night Live clips goes without saying. Like, wasn't really something he was supposed to be listening to anyway. But seriously, do they hear how satisfied you are when you tell a friend that you wish you had said that thing to that person to tell them off? Or do they listen to music that promote, promotes rude, independent attitude, but then you want them to be humbly, humbly submitting in obedience to you? I'm not a person that says all these books and movies and shows are bad and you should never watch them or never listen to them and have them out of your house or whatever. But... If you have a child that's particularly struggling with something, looking for what's influencing him on a regular basis and back off for a while until he can discern between funny and inappropriate, between cool ideas and dangerous things, between silly and disruptive, that's important. Some of my children have bent towards being proper in public. They kind of naturally gravitate that way. Others have been completely unaware. 
Rachel can read Calvin and Hobbes all day. Could when she was two. Jonathan and James were immediately in a wagon, tearing down a hill towards the road with no awareness whatsoever that it might kill them. Because Calvin never died. So we want our kids to demonstrate self-control. Are we acting like it? Are we choosing things that support that, that desire at home in their everyday environment? Or are we simply hoping that magically it will happen while we're out? Self-control takes practice. It takes practice for us as well to be intentional, to make decisions about what they watch, what they listen to, to plan ahead for them, to role play at home so they are better prepared for outside interactions. It's not going to fix everything. But let me tell you, it will cut down on so much mischief. So the question, as usual, is what one thing stands out to you from this episode that you could implement this week? Just one thing. I challenge you to pick something and try it with your kids. Then go over to fruitpursuitpodcast.com, scroll down, click on this episode, which is self-control and activities for children, and let me know what you tried or if you have other ideas of what's worked for you. I would love to hear them. Let's share them with other people so that we can help each other be successful. Thank you so much for joining me this month for the fruit of the spirit self-control. Come back next week as we get a whole new focus on love, how we can love others well. And I'll see you then. You've been listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. To hear more great ways of growing your mindset in the fruit of the spirit, please subscribe. You can listen to other episodes and find additional resources at fruitpursuitpodcast.com. To learn more about Mary Aldrich and the coaching work she is so passionate about, visit maryaldrichcoaching.com. And by the way, what one next step are you taking today?